Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, church. You guys are amazing. It is good to be back. Christy's already said that we've been away a little bit, but we love our church family, and you guys are all amazing. And um, yeah, I just want to say again, welcome to any visitor or any newcomer. I just really pray that you're made to feel like one of the family this morning. So um, I am, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I am quite excited about a new series we're entering into called The Slide. And really it's about our heart attitude towards God and, and really uh, and a, a really clear heart, uh, look at our heart. Um, I want to tackle a subject that's becoming more and more popular called deconstruction and what that really is. And um, just, just bring some biblical truth around that uh, because that's a word that we're hearing more and more. Um, so that's going to be maybe the next couple of weeks I'm going to be sharing about that. Um, but before I get into it, I just want to say it's okay to have questions about our faith and we all doubt at times. Sometimes when people think, well, I've got questions about this, then they grab a hold of that popular word, well, I'm deconstructing, I'm pulling apart my, my faith to rebuild it. The problem with that word is it actually doesn't mean rebuilding. Um, it means pulling apart and leaving broken. So I'm going to share about that. A much better word to use if we've got questions is reformation, which means a return back to Scripture, and reviving, which is a return back to the Holy Spirit. So reformation is reforming. It's not deconstructing. It's reforming our faith and reviving is coming back to the Holy Spirit. Those two things. Unfortunately, so often people that grab a hold of this whole concept of I'm deconstructing my faith, they never return back to a passion for the Scripture. Um, Their time is never spent delving into the Scripture. They're delving into a whole lot of other things and a whole lot of other philosophies and they really close the door to the Holy Spirit's working. So I just want to bring that out. Um, It is okay to have questions, but it's a dangerous thing to pull apart our our faith and leave it broken. So I, I was really... Tempted, you know the Millennial Falcon that I've got, Millennium Falcon that you guys bought. That was, it's like how many twenty thousand pieces. I was really tempted to have that on stage, and as I go through the script, uh, as I go through the series, to pull it apart and to break it. And then the whole analogy was, well, how am I ever going to put this back together without any instructions? But man, I love that thing, and there is no way I'm ever going to do that. So just hopefully that that word pitches in your head, that pitches in your head. So. The crazy thing is, though, before this word deconstruction, um, which, is, which has become popular over the last few years, it was never called deconstruction when I was growing up. Like, we never, ever heard that word. There was one word that we, we heard a lot of people that sort of turning away from the faith, and it was called good old-fashioned backsliding. Like, that's not a popular word these days. It's not a popular message. When was the last time we heard any message or any preaching or any warning about backsliding? Like, I can guarantee we, we haven't heard that word in, in a lot of years. It's like, when was the last time we heard any teaching on hell or sin? 
It's like those things are almost like four-letter words in the church these days. Um, but it's a part of the gospel, and we actually need to know these things. So what I wanted to do this morning, uh, part one of this whole series called The Slide, I wanted to look at this, this word backsliding, because deconstruction, that's actually not in the Bible, but backsliding, that word in the Hebrew and Greek, is, is actually quite, it's, 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 it's a lot of the way through the Bible. So that's what we're going to be looking at. This morning, it may be a little bit confrontational, maybe a little bit hard hitting, and I don't apologize for that. Like once upon a time, we'll say, "Oh, sorry, guys, this is a little you know, like nah." Like we need to actually hear these things. Sometimes we like to hear the the light and fluffy passages of Scripture that make us feel good, um, but sometimes Billy Sunday actually said a backsliding person likes preaching that won't hear a won't hit a side of a barn, but the saint will love preaching that brings them to their knees. So I really like that. So with that, um, by way of introduction, what is backsliding? In the Greek, it's mishuva, and it means to turn away, to turn back, to fall away, to grow cold, um, apostasy. Um, the, the great definition in the dictionary, and for once the dictionary actually gets a biblical word really good, uh, it says this, to slide back, to fall away, to abandon gradually the faith and practice of a religion that has been professed. To abandon gradually. It's always a slow slide. In Jeremiah 14, 7, um, just a couple of verses uh, that bring this point out. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord. For your name's sake, for our backslidings are many, we have sinned against you. In Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of of his ways. So as I've been preparing this, there's like the backslider that's sort of like, no, I'm just, see you later, God, I'm just going to indulge in the things of the world. But there's another thing that's perhaps a little bit, or far more relevant to our lives, is that's a backslidden heart. That we can be doing everything um, as Christians and going to heaven and, and loving, you know, what we do, but actually how far is our heart or how close is our heart towards God? So that's a that's an, it's, a, it's it's relevant to everyone. That's a relevant message if I've ever heard one. Um, parable of the prodigal son is an incredible um, picture and teaching by Jesus about this whole process of backsliding. We know the story. A lot of us know the story well. A young man turns away from his father and turns away from um, his, his father's house and wants to do his own thing, and it doesn't end. Well, well, it actually ends well for him in the end, but during that, um, he hits rock bottom and he goes back to his father. He just wants to be a, a servant or a slave, but his father welcomes him back, runs to his lost son and grabs a hold of him. And, um, so that's an incredible picture of the redemptive heart of God towards people that fall away from him. Um, in Revelation 2.5, look how far you have fallen. This is Jesus talking to a church. So talking to believers here, um, other translations say, look how far you have fallen from your first love. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Back in the, the mid-1990s, Christy and I were at Bible college, and it was just an incredible two years but that was a time where a revival happened. I think it was over in Florida. Was it over in the Florida? Is Brownsville in Florida? Yep. 
um, the Brownsville Revival. Somewhere in America, in a place called Brownsville, uh, there was this incredible revival took place. And back in those days, I think the internet was barely starting, so there was no such thing as YouTube or social media to see these things. Um, what we got, though, is we heard stories, and there were some articles in Christian um, magazines, but we had good old-fashioned VHS tapes like videotapes, and like we were so passionate for God back in Bible college, we just like, oh, wow, this is a, this is a tape of teaching from Brownsville, and we grabbed a hold of it, and we consumed, like we inhaled like these VHS tapes of revival because we were so hungry after God, but I loved the Brownsville revival because there was a couple of things that marked that revival. First of all, it was a, a, a turning back to God of believers' hearts. Like people realized that their hearts had grown cold um, and far away from God. So it was, that's what a revival is. It's when people come back alive. So it was a lot of people coming back and turning back to God again. But with that came an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was just, inc- like, I don't know, you can watch it on YouTube, but those times were amazing. Um, and I remember Steve Hill was an evangelist that, that came into that, and he was like meant to do a couple of meetings, uh, but he stayed for, I don't know if it was months or years, he was an evangelist, and he was just calling um, Christians to turn back to God from backslidden hearts. And he did a message, and I remember it well, I took notes. It's a good thing to take notes, because like 27 years later, you still have those notes. <laughs> um, and he, he t- did a message on the heart, or the marks of a backsliding believer. And so this is what he said, four points. You lose your spiritual appetite. You have an increasing desire for the things of the world. And I think the world view of the world. Sinful behavior no longer breaks your heart. And you reject accountable relationships. I think it's very, very you know, relevant even now, 20-something years later. I think my addition to that would be this. You begin to dismantle or deconstruct and rally against traditional Christian values. Marks of a backsliding believer, you begin to dismantle and rally against Christian values. So it's one thing to have questions, but what I'm seeing is an increase in in believers that will want to argue and debate with you about Christian values that have been the tenets of our faith for 2,000 years. And we think, well, they, all the, the revivalists, all the theologians, all those people for the last 2,000 years, um, they got it wrong. Like we, we know so much more now in this generation that we know they're wrong and we're just going to make up. Like, how, how arrogant is that, the last 2,000 years um, of people that are way more intelligent than me? But what it is is like people start to debate against the very virtues of our Christian faith. So I think those are really relevant even for today. There was, and I'm going to be using a lot of old school revivalists because, man, they've, they've got the goods. Um, again, it's like, well, I, I prefer nowadays because we have the revelation now. It's like, come on. Like the Bible is God's revelation um, to us. Uh, and let's go back and look at what the revivalists of old taught and, and what they knew. So Archibald Alexander, a theologian alive in, 17, in the 1700s, So hundreds of years ago, this is what he said about backsliding. Backsliding occurs when the Christian is gradually led off from close walking with God, loses the lively sense of divine things, becomes too much attached to the world and too much occupied with secular concerns until at length the keeping of the heart is neglected, prayer and the seeking of the Lord in private are omitted or slightly performed, 
zeal for the advancement of the kingdom is quenched, and many things once rejected by a sensitive conscience are now indulged and defended. Isn't that good stuff? Um, on the notes, the, the Bible app, we've got the notes there. Um, for those of you that want to have the notes 27 years after this, me- this message has been preached. <laughs> Martin Luther had um, a, a vision or a, um, a dream of Satan once and, and, and hell, and, and all these demons were coming forward to give their report of what they had done, um, wrecking havoc on planet Earth. So there was one demon comes forward to give his report and he says there was a group of Christian pilgrims crossing the desert on a mission um, and I caused a, a sandstorm and the lions to come upon them and, and like they, they died in the desert. He was expecting some encouragement, I guess, um, from Satan and Satan says, so what? Their, their lives were lost, yes, but their souls were saved. It is their souls I'm after. And um, a, a, a next demon comes forward to give his report and he's a little bit more, less confident now. Um, he says, there was a group of Christian pilgrims crossing the ocean on a vessel and I, I caused a, a great storm um, to hit that ship and the ship was shipwrecked, hit the rocks and, and they all drowned and like, their lives were lost. And Satan said, so what? Their lives were lost, yes, but their souls are saved. It is their souls I am after. And then the third demon comes forward to give his report of what he's done on planet Earth and he's a scrawny little dinky demon. Um, and he says, I haven't got much to report for, for 10 long years. I've been working on one Christian to cause them to fall asleep spiritually and to lose sight of their mission and their purpose. And he says, today, 10 years later at last, I have succeeded. And with that, there is a standing ovation in the hallways of hell and, and malignant triumph sounds of applause rings and even Satan himself rises to give this one scrawny demon a standing ovation because for 10 long years he'd caused one Christian to gradually fall asleep spiritually and he did it 10 years later. It is a slow slide. Backsliding is, is gradual and it is slow. And throughout the Bible there are so many great people that we see the course of their lives and we can track their lives now once on fire for God and incredibly anointed at the end of their lives. Nothing like it was when they were called. It is a slow Slide, Charles Spurgeon says this, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upwards and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. If we are not deliberately proactive, in our relationship with God and protecting that and valuing that, it's just gravity. Like, we will grow cold. With that, we've got the demonic and the things of the world, the lust, the flesh, and the devil, all pulling us back as well. We've got to be so awake to this. Like I said, that the Bible is full of examples. The Israelites, seeing the incredible signs and wonders, like, just imagine a whole ocean splitting open. Like they had no excuse, and yet when the hard times came, they blamed the circumstances, and they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to uh, bondage and slavery because the food was better, and they, were, they think they were better looked after. So we tend to blame our circumstances, but A.W. Tozer says the backslider will blame circumstances, but it always starts in our heart. 
So the whole Israelite nation, they, they, their hearts were backslidden. Um, Samson is another one called and anointed with God. Uh, he was redeemed right at the end, but his whole life is, is one big lesson in this whole thing of uh, hearts growing cold and backsliding. King Saul, again, um, called and anointed by God, um, ends up committing suicide far away from God, involved in witchcraft and sorcery. David, although his story is a redemptive one, um, we can learn a lot from David. There was a portion of his life where he was far away from God. Demas in the New Testament, um, in 2 Timothy 4.10, this is what Paul says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And I reckon Paul's heart broke for, for him, but it happened in the Old Testament, it happens in the New Testament, it happens with good people, and it can happen to me. And it can happen to you. Um, Lot is an incredible story, I guess, in a case study. So right back at the beginning, um, Abraham is called by God to go out and to possess this new land that, that God was giving him. And, and uh, Abraham, he was called Abraham at the time, we just call him Abraham, um, calls his family. And with that, his nephew Lot comes along in verse um, 12 of Genesis 13. So Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. And I'm not going to go into this um, in depth or take a lot of time in it, but we see here Lot is near Sodom. It's, it's a picture of wickedness. Um, he knows that he's in a place where he's going to be influenced, but because um, the, the land was good around Sodom at that time, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, he just wanted to live there. It was like beneficial to him, so he thought. So he's near the place of wickedness. In Genesis um, 14, 12, and again, I'm not going to go into it much, we see now Lot is in Sodom. So how much time has transpired, I don't know how it transpired, he was near Sodom, near the place of wickedness, now he's been influenced, so he's living in the place of wickedness. The story goes that angels come to visit Lot and to say, you know, you need to get out of here because we're gonna, God's going to destroy this um, city, and all the men of the city want to come and gang rape these two angels. It's a pretty crazy story, but it happened. Um, and instead of allowing that to happen, Lot's virtues and values are so eroded now by the ways of Sodom, he doesn't think it's a bad thing to send his two virgin daughters out to be gang raped by hundreds of men instead of these two angels. So Lot was near Sodom, now he's in Sodom, now the ways and the wickedness of Sodom is in his heart. And then, um, as the story goes, the angel said, no, we've got to go now, and, and Lot hesitates. Like, un unless the angels physically grabbed him, like sometimes people say, well, God won't force us to do anything. Um, if the angels didn't grab a hold of, of Lot and force him out of the city, he was going to stay there and he would have died there because it says he hesitated and hesitated so much that the angels had to pull him and, and drag him away. So now we see that Sodom and the ways of Sodom was in Lot's heart. Lot's heart now is in Sodom. So, and I'm, I'm just going through this really quickly, the family escapes and um, the fiancés of Lot's two daughters die um, 
and, and they've got no one to, and now they're living in the hills away from Sodom and Gomorrah because it was destroyed. But the two daughters of Lot now think it's, it's okay to sleep and have sex with their father. Um, so it wasn't now that, that the ways of Sodom was in Lot's heart, now the ways of Sodom are in Lot's children. So this is a slow slide. It, it, slide. it starts with us, but it never just solely affects us. It affects everyone around us. And they sleep with their father. And as a result, in Genesis 19, verse um, 37 and 38, when the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. Um, he became the ancestor of a nation now known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him ben Ami. And he became the ancestor of a nation now known as the Ammonites. Lots of descendants. The Ammonites and the Moabites became constant bitter enemies of God and God's people. And if you read the story of Balaam and Balak, it was the Moabites that pretty much deceived a lot of the nation of Israel involved in, um, in sexual immorality and idolatry. Lot is near Sodom, Lot is in Sodom, Sodom's values are now in Lot, Lot's heart is in Sodom, Sodom's values are now in Lot's children, Lot's legacy is Sodom. Lot's legacy is wickedness. It's a slow slide, and we are all susceptible. Now, it's like, wow, Simon, you're talking about being away from wickedness. Can we just like go and, and, and to buy some land somewhere as a new church? And find like build some buildings and just live happily ever after, and may we'll call ourselves Renew Vale or something like that. <laughs> no, because God has called us to be in this world, not of this world. So we are involved in this world. We're called to be salt and light, but we have got to be so careful that this world doesn't get inside of us. And that's the whole point. So the potential fruit. Of backsliding, like we could call it the wages of backsliding or the, the consequences or the dangers of backsliding. I was going over through some of my notes that I, I, I this was, it started as like a youth sermon a long time ago, 25 years ago. And I just like was so, I was like, Simon, you were so blunt back then. And I was like, I even consider like changing this because it's like, wow, guys aren't going to like me if I share some of the truths of God's word. Again, I don't apologize for that. Um, but as, as a preacher, sometimes when you're preparing a message, it's like, well, I like that verse and that verse not so much because, wow, like God seems a little bit serious there, but I just like, like encouragement. So with this, it is going to be confronting, but we need to be confronted. We need to be confronted because a relevant message, like our hearts are all at risk. Like my heart, even as a pastor, and I've checked my heart so much with this. Um, am I more on fire today than I was a month ago? Uh, things that like I, I wouldn't have involved myself in a month, am I involved in them like now? Like this is such a relevant message for me. And if it is for a pastor, I guess it's relevant for everyone. So the potential fruit of backsliding, number one, you open the door to the demonic. You open the door to demons. Oh, you don't hear that much these days. But it's true. Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but, fi rest but finding none. And it, then it says, I will return to the person I came from. 
So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Let me explain. When we give our lives to Christ, there is a lot of baggage that we carry and a lot of offense and a lot of wrong thinking and sometimes demonic oppression and depression and all of that stuff. It's a part of that. There is a real realm. It's a spiritual realm. There are angels and there are demons. Like We don't really hear about that much, but there is becoming an, an increased interest um, in this because like nothing is working in the world. People are still addicted. People are still broken. People can't be set free. It's only Jesus that can do that. We're in this incredible um, battle, and we need to understand that the spiritual realm is real. So we get saved and we get free and we get loose from stuff and strongholds go and we get delivered. And then we should be filling ourselves with the things of God and the Holy Spirit and immersing ourselves in things that are going to build us up. But what happens when our hearts turn cold and turn away from God, God, our, our, our hearts are swept clean. So the demonic can see, well, Simon's now a target again. There's no, uh, no, he's not honoring the Holy Spirit in his life. He's doing things that are attracting us. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring some of my mates and, and cause oppression and depression and possession back in his life again. How am I confident that this happens? Because I know people. I'm sounding like the Don off, like God, um, the Godfather. I know some people. Where... <laughs> They, they got saved and they got set free and they were, they were radical for God. Whatever happens, they get offended they, you know, and they turn back willfully from God. And man, the way they are like now, I can honestly say they are so much more worse off, um, so much more broken, so much more oppressed and addicted than they were before they ever came to God. It happened. Most of us would understand that as well. It, it happens. But it says something here as well. That will be the experience of this evil generation. In New Zealand, like everyone would say, well, it's getting darker and darker. And perhaps because as a generation and as a country, like we've been so blessed with the Christian missionaries that have come in and, and shared the word of God and the gospel which can save us. And then we've got an incredible country now that has been blessed and has been wealthy. But people now aren't really filling up their lives with God anymore. They're not filling up their lives with the Holy Spirit anymore. So as a, as a generation, uh, without God, you know, the, the Bible is very clear. We're going to be worse off than before. It's worth thinking about. Secondly, you are left without excuse. Luke 12, verse 47 to 48. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Again, this is what Jesus says, and I've heard teaching that says, well, you know, punishment's no longer in the New Testament because Jesus took upon himself the punishment of sin, and that is true. But this is what Jesus said, and I dare not change what the Bible says to make myself feel better about God. There's a, a movement now, I may talk about it in future weeks, called the New Interpreters, or the New Interpretists. 
Um, and they believe basically that what we have now is the Bible isn't the original Bible, that people got their hands on the Bible and they deliberately twisted Scripture so that what we read now about the parts of Scripture that we don't like, obviously it's been manipulated by people because God would never have said that. It's like, how far can we go? It means that gives us full permission and license now to pull apart most of the Bible that we don't agree with. And like, there are parts of the Bible I don't like and I don't understand, but we dare not change those because they aren't in vogue or popular with this current um, culture that we are living in. So those who don't carry out these instructions will be fearing family. And mum and dad took us to church several times a week and instilled into our family the incredible foundation of God. So that's something, that's a huge blessing that I have that most of the people in this world don't have. So, so in a way, I have an advantage, but with that comes great responsibility, as Spider-Man's uncle said to him. With great power comes great responsibility. We, we know the truth, and the truth has set us free. If we fall back from God, if we deliberately turn our back on God, knowing what the truth is, we are left without excuse. We are left without excuse. Number three, does it get better? You become blinded to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who was the exact likeness of God. Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. What is that word? It's epistos. In the Bible, it means faithless. It means this, someone who rejects or refuses God's inbirthings of faith. It's like someone who may never have known God, true, but it's also, in my opinion, those that have believed in God, but they willingly push away the truth. And they instead grab a hold of something that's called their own truth. And that is, that is serious. So in a way, there is a blinding that comes from people that, um, that push the truth away. And again, by experience, knowing this and, and knowing so many people, especially as a youth pastor, um, I'm, I'm thinking of one young lady who had an incredible encounter with God um, back at one of our camps, and like that was miraculous. Um, her life was changed. She was so on fire for God. Now, um, I don't know how many decades later, so far away from God and a person that will be very quick to, to speak against God and against the church. Um, and I remember having a conversation with her a few years back, and I said, can you remember that camp? And she said, well, nah, what happened? I, I have no memory of that. So either she was lying, which is a possibility. She didn't seem like she was lying. More so, I think she was telling the truth. She just could not remember. Um, she was blinded to that memory, because we have selective memories, and that, that is heartbreaking. We become blinded to the incredible things that we've experienced from God. Lastly, and I, tr trust me, it gets better. You have no guarantee that you will ever, ever find your way back to God. You'll have no guarantee that you'll ever find your way back to God. John Owen in the 1600s says, Recovery from backsliding is the hardest task in Christian religion. Recovery from backsliding is the hardest task 
in Christian religion. In Hebrews 6, 4-6, again, one of those hard sayings of the Bible that we don't like talking about. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who are once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. It's Reformation and the Revival again. And who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God, they themselves, and nailing him to the cross once again and holding him to public shame. You're saying, well, like anyone who falls away from God, it becomes impossible for them to get back to God. No, we need to actually look at what it's saying. It says it's impossible to bring back to repentance. So with me just sitting down and in my own knowledge and in my own way, trying to debate with someone that has turned their back on God, that's not going to work. But with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. And I just want to bring out that with this, Matthew 19, 26, uh, when he, like the rich young ruler, like Jesus confronts him with surrender and he turns away sad. And, and the disciples are saying, well, you know, how can people get saved then? And this is what Jesus says. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So one way you could look at this is like, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm exempt now from praying and, and talking to people that are back. No, actually, God wants us to continue to do that, and even more so because he partners and co-partners with us, us in that, but it's got to be a move of the Holy Spirit, and we've got to depend on the Holy Spirit with that. But God's still moving with that. James 5, 19 to 20, My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back again, it's possible. You can be sure of this, that the one who brings that person back will save that sinner from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I don't think that clever human debating will be able to achieve this. It's impossible um, in our own humanity, but with the Holy Spirit and with the power of God, in our situation, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, all things are possible with God. So don't give up hope. But with that, we understand that there is no guarantee that we'll ever find our way back to God again. And that's what breaks my heart with people that are grabbing hold of deconstruction. Because it just seems like they are not deconstructing to reform their faith and have a passion for the Bible and have a passion for the Holy Spirit. It's like they deconstruct their faith and all passion for the Holy Spirit, all passion for the fruit and for the conviction and all passion to really love reading the Word of God and allow the, Lord, uh, the Word of God to wash us. That's not part of their life. But with God, all things are possible. I just want to say that with, with those of us and, and family members that are on this process, please don't stop praying for them because God is amazing. The Holy Spirit is still at work. With God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, it's not, but with God, all things are possible. So, steps to overcome backsliding. Now, I, I could give you guys a thousand points, because I love practical points. It's like, this is, we're going to do this, and like, stop doing this, and do do this, and like, get into fasting. Like, there's a whole lot of points. And, and uh, Mitch, if you just want to jump up and get ready, it would be great. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sort of give you any practical points. I am going to give you five points that are really important, though. Never forget what God has saved you from. Never forget what God has saved you from. Without God, and without God intervening in our lives, like some of us may not even be here right now. I know that all of us without God would be in a way worse situation. And that's just here in our lives. What about 
understanding what God has saved us from and eternity in hell. Again, like talking about hell as eternity, like no one wants to talk about that and we're wanting to be clever and, and change what the Bible says. And I really hope that hell is not eternal, but I can't say that based on the truth of Scripture. And I can't manipulate God and make him into my own image of the way I think because that would be idolatry. I dare not make God into the image of God that I want him to be. I know that God is ever faithful and ever just and, and like he knows best, so I'm fully able to say, God, I don't understand, but you know this. So hell is real, and as far as Scripture goes, there's a lot of proof to say it's eternal. I don't understand all of that. I, I, it breaks my heart to think about that, but I know one thing, without the blood of Jesus in my life and without what he done on the cross, I'd be destined for hell. So never forget that, what our life would be like and what our eternity would be like without God. Never forget what God has saved you for. In this world, a, a life of destiny and purpose and meaning, the greatest need in a, in, a, in a person's life is the quest for finding significance and meaning in this world. And with Christ, he's given us an incredible future and incredible purpose. Never forget what God has saved you from. Never forget what God has saved you for. Never forget what God has saved you to. Heaven forever. Paradise forever. Joy forever. A new heavens and a new earth forever. I remember as a kid, and I, I can't do this with myself now, but I used to be able to like short circuit my brain whenever I used to think about forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, did you guys ever experience that as a kid? Like, it's like my brain just started doing funny things. I couldn't sort of think about it. Eternity, ages to come without sin. God's got stuff for us to do in the ages to come. New heavens and a new earth. Build up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rot. Like, there are treasures in heaven. There are things for us to do in heaven. It's incredible. Never forget that. We've no matter how bad our life gets, never forget what God has saved you to. Never forget the price Jesus paid for you. Remember going and seeing the Passion of the Christ. Um, I got a whole lot of guys together. It's like, okay, we're going to watch this. It's going to be awesome. And I spent half the movie like bawling my eyes out. And I was so embarrassed. So I haven't seen it since. But just understanding the price Jesus paid, and that was only like a glimpse, I mean, in real life. I know there's a sequel coming out, which I'm really looking forward to. I might just go see that by myself because um, I won't be embarrassed. But what Jesus did for me, every, every, every you know, the, the whipping and the beating, like he was looking forward to, to us. And so never forget what Jesus has done for us. But lastly, because I know when our, our hearts are away from God, like condemnation can so easily come in. There's no condemnation in God. So I know this has been pretty heavy as well, but lastly, and this is an important point, never forget that God's arms are wide open and He will run to you as you stumble towards Him. Never forget that God's arms are wide open and He will run to you as you stumble towards Him. The prodigal son, like he dishonored his father, he dishonored his whole family, that, that whole community. Like in the culture of the day, he could have been rightfully killed. And that's the reason why scholars believe that the father ran and fell upon him because it was quite highly likely that if anyone in that village saw the prodigal son re return, they would want to kill him. 
So it was like the father grabbing hold of him and saying, no, I don't want my son to die. I don't want my son to pay the price for this. So the son was far away from God, comes to his senses, thinks, well, even a slave in my father's home, even like a servant will be better. But the father sees him from a long way off, which proves to me that the father was always watching and always waiting. And as he sees his lost son, he runs. The son is stumbling home. The, the, the father, which represents God, runs to his lost son and falls upon him and weeps and holds him tight and restores him to, to the identity as a son, which is incredible. And there's a massive party. Let's stand up, please. It's so easy when we talk about backsliding to think about, oh, I know that person there, and this is a good message for that person that I know. Again, I want to finish this and land by having a look at my heart and for us to all look at our hearts. Matthew Henry in his commentary on 1 John says, says this, The heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both loves. The world draws down the heart of God, and so the more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God dwindles and decays. Our heart was only made to contain one God. Whether we serve God the Almighty or the God of this world, our life grows from whichever source our heart is connected to. A.W. Tozer, I said this before, while we may blame circumstances, all backsliding begins in the heart. This is what we're going to do. And just wanted to have a real quiet, reflective worship to finish off. And we're going to have communion today because we haven't had communion in a long time. This is what I would invite us to do. Uh, and you guys have heard me say this before. I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in grace that comes from the preaching of the Word of God, where there is a window of God's grace when God speaks to us through His Holy Spirit and maybe places His finger on a few things. And we know, oh, it's, it's probably for me, that is the time to do business with God. That is the time to get right. The Bible says today, if you hear His, His voice, like right now, don't harden your heart. So this is what I would invite us all to do. And there's a lot of space around, but I would invite you as we take communion, and you can do this in your own time. You can do it in your seats, that's great. But if you know that this has spoken to you, and if there was ever a message that would speak to me as I'm preaching it, it's probably this one. Um, I love communion because it means intimate communication. It's focusing on what Jesus did. His body that was broken for us so that we could be whole, His blood represented by the, the grape juice um, that represents washing away of sin. It represents coming back, having a fresh start, having a new beginning, having a, a new joy and peace. It, it represents repenting, turning away from the things of the world and turning back to God. So I encourage us all, and Mitch is going to sing a couple of songs, worthy of it all, like I give you my heart, all that, it's all relevant. I would invite us all to come, if you can, and maybe even just stand at the altar, which at the front is always symbolic of, of you know, coming to the cross of, 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 of Jesus. Stand if you want. You can come and kneel, which is a universal symbol of surrender and humility. And just let the Holy Spirit move in your life and make this a holy moment of reformation in our lives when we want to return to a love for the gospel, love for the Word of God, and a revival, a return to the love for the Holy Spirit. So Father, I want to thank You for this message. I want to thank You for Your heart. Lord, I want to thank You for Your truth um, sometimes it's like milk, it goes down easy. Sometimes it's like meat, we've got to chew on it a little bit. But I want to thank you for your word that is so powerful and is so needed. Lord, if there was ever a message in, in, in our time 
is, is a one encouraging us to, to become close to you again, to, to protect that connection that we have with you, to be aware of how easy it is for our heart to grow cold. So Father, on behalf of our church, we, we say, I say, I take responsibility, Lord. I'm, I'm sorry for a backsliding heart. Lord, I want to thank you that your word says, uh, I can't quite remember the scripture. It's in a couple of places where it says that you will heal our backsliding. So Holy Spirit, I, I invite you into this moment, into our lives afresh. As we repent, as we turn away from the things of the world, as we turn back to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, do a miracle in our lives, a miracle of reformation and a miracle of revival as we get right with you again. If you've never given your life to Jesus, now is a good time to say, God, I surrender you all. So I invite you to come forward, kneel as, as, as we sing, stand as we sing, and during the next few minutes, have communion when you feel. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.